I say, chaps, there's been a fair amount of whinging over this voicemail app and on your website, don't you think? I say just let it happen, let it be, and see who leaves the voicemail and who says what. It's the Canadian experience, isn't it? To constantly wonder who likes me, who doesn't like me. Well, you're just going to have to toughen up, chaps. Cheers. So just because we don't quite understand how something works or why something works doesn't mean it doesn't work. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with John Herlosky a little bit later, talking some remote viewing, doing a little remote viewing maybe. Who knows? Stay tuned to the outro for a little fun. Uh, but first... As always, Gramerica. Gramerica, yeah. Thanks, buddy. The better half of Gramerica. Take it easy. So, yeah, stick around for the outro because we've been given some homework as uh, hosts and listeners. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for the coordinates and we can do a little exercise ourselves. I mean, we tried that once before on the show and it didn't work very well, but let's try it again. So yeah, I want to uh, mention some. I think last hey, time there was some like outside influences. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to mention some feedback right away at uh, at the show here. I want to thank some people for for sending their feedback. Um, we don't usually read reviews, especially from like iTunes and stuff like that. Just feels weird, but. We got an email from a, a listener, and, and he's uh, very descriptive about the show, and I do want to read it because it kind of explains. Pretty cool the way it explains okay. some stuff. Wait, but wait for it. You don't say ham, you say spam. Thanks, buddy. So I want to thank uh, Valve Monkey. And uh, Jennifer for sending in some feedback. And Gumble Gumble 111 and Polydectus. I feel like I mentioned that one already at some point. And Gary and Jamie Sanchez, just to mention a few. Thanks. And Larry, too. Just some recent Larry feedback Case. and stuff. You betcha. Or Larry K. Yeah. Sounded like I said that anyway. But I want to read this out in case people are new to the show and they kind of get a sense for, for what we're all about. And this one's from Lance. It's an email. He says, I'm a podcast junkie and have tried many podcasts similar to Grimerica, like MU, which is Mysterious Universe, Graylian Report, THC, which is the Higher Side Chats, Intrepid, Open Minds, etc. And Grimerica is by far my fave. You rule them all. I've been listening to everything you have most twice and some many more times still like Randall Carlson. Jesus. I know it's, uh, it's, uh, it's humbling, but I want to get into it. The thing I like most about beyond the, I'm just sitting around with a couple of cool friends banter as he is that you don't insult my intelligence. You allow me to hear and own the facts, theories, and ideas and choose for myself what to do with it. I can decide for myself what is bullshit and what is compelling. 
You give the presenters an honest and fair opportunity and don't insult them when you may not agree. You don't try and guide the conversation with stupid questions or well-timed cutoffs just to make sure the topic goes where you want it to. I really appreciate the manner in which you don't get in the guest's way and let them present their ideas as they have been seen proven best. It's not like they need the information teased out of them. They have likely presented their ideas in some manner and times it's stupid and they know what works best. Fuck that one up, but sorry about that. It's okay. Not yeah. as much as usual. Also, no inferiority complexes here. Continually interrupting the guests, butting in to say, hey, look at me and all this shit I know. Aren't I awesome? It's refreshing and polite. When you do pose questions or add something of your own, it's well thought out and relevant. Not a distraction, but rather a contribution. Helping to clarify ideas or draw possibly unnoticed connections. And you do so with a laid back and entertaining humor. Not all pretentious or dry. The two of you, three counting RPJ, are open-minded, but no one's fools. And the contrast in degrees of skepticism without seriously trying to compete with each other over who can be crowned as right is quite complimentary. Seriously arguing hosts are a real turnoff. Very well done and keep it up just as you do. Swears and all. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, I would love to hear... Interviews with Dean Radin and Lynn McTaggart, and maybe Yoda, if you can get him. Also, I would add this as a podcast review, but it looks like iTunes is the only real useful place, and I'm no Apple fanboy, so if you can suggest other places that would help, let us know. That's from... Go to Stitcher, you must. <laughs> Stitcher? Is that, is I think that the next best place, I have got one review on Stitcher, but I think that's probably the next best place. What about that podcast review place that you're talking about? That's just a place that correlates them for us. That's a service. Oh, oh, oh okay. That's a service. It takes like the U.S. ones and the Canadian ones and all that and correlates yeah. them. Okay. So that was from uh, Liger Rider in Asheville. He says, P.S. To clarify your mispronunciation of my handle, Liger Rider, when you previously read my camping story, it's Liger, like Tiger, as in the words of Napoleon Dynamite. It's pretty much my favorite animal, and it's like a lion and a tiger mixed, bred for its skills and magic. Yeah, so I ride these bitches like a horse, and I'm pretty badass, thus Liger Rider. You have the clip? I do have a clip. It's pretty funny. What are you drawing? A liger. What's a liger? It's pretty much my favorite animal. It's like a lion and a tiger mixed. Redford's skills and magic. <laughs> Redford's skills and magic. That could have been me in 1985. That could be you anytime, <laughs> man. Oh. Flip a switch. Oh, I wanted to mention about Lynn, Mc- Lynn McTiger, too. Um, Lynn McTaggart was on our wish list. Purpose? Yeah, yeah. No, Lynn McTaggart was on our wish list for right at the beginning. And obviously it was hard to... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was you. <laughs> <sighs> Anyways, yeah, Lynn McTaggart, uh, I loved her uh, book, The Field, and, and The Intention Experiment. She was on the list from the beginning. So uh, maybe now that we've had so many shows... Because I think I emailed her right away, and it was just really hard to get in contact with her. So now that we have a little, a couple of years under our belt, 
Yeah. Try her again. Yeah. Is this our anniversary or our birthday? When? Oh, it's shit. It almost is, eh? What's today? Uh, not another week or two. So what Next is- week. Next week's our two-year anniversary. Isn't it our birthday? Our birthday? Yeah, I guess it's our birthday. Our two-year birthday. Yeah, I know. I thought of it as anniversary, too, but it's really a birthday. America turns two. Terrible twos. That's right. Fucking hit the deck. All right, it's the profound UFO quote of the week. And this is uh, interesting. When you have the view of the airspace and the radar screen and you see the UFOs go around 20 or 30 miles a second, that is very real. They can turn suddenly almost 90 degrees in a second or a half a second. The UFOs can go vertically straight up and very quickly. That's from the Mexico City Senior Air Traffic Controller, Enrique Colbeck. Enrique. Yeah. DP, page 129. I don't know what that means, but... DPT? DP, page 129. Hmm. Speaking of uh, air traffic controllers and the senior ones, I was... uh, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, and uh, it's like a new friend, and he's a supervisor of a bunch of air traffic controllers. I'll keep it uh, really like I'll keep fucking it tin cup style. Yeah, as I mentioned, <laughs> like pushing tin, right? Or yeah. pushing tin, yeah. yeah. Tin cup uh, golf. So he he manages the air traffic controllers in a bunch of different airports, and I was asking him about UFOs and talking. He's super open minded about it, which is great because sometimes. You know, you wonder what they're going to think of, right? And and he mentioned uh, just recently there was like a multiple sighting where a bunch of airplane uh, pilots saw something and reported it in like about six, I think, few uh, a few of them at once. Anyways, so I was mentioning to him, is it protocol that they report that? Because you know, you wonder if it's like sort of part of the ridicule. But he says basically the Transport Canada, it's, I think it's uh, regulated that you should. Re- Report anomalous uh, objects out there. Anomalous aerial and it happens, And it happens a lot. So it's pretty cool to hear that from an air traffic controller. True that. Dude, are you clapping? <laughs> I did. Nice. Pretty excited. Can I continue I like on with I, the UFO uh, topic here? I like your enthusiasm. No problem, buddy. Do I finally get to read the, the uh, orb sighting from Mark? Sure. Who's Mark? Mark's uh, one of our listeners. He's got the orange orb sighting. Oh, let's hear it. He says, hey, Graham, I'm finally getting around to telling you my sighting. I'm from a town called Swan River in Manitoba with a population of 5,000 people. I've been watching the sky multiple times per night for the past five years. I live approximately two Ks from our west, west of our local airport. This sighting occurred mid-summer 2014 at approximately 1230 a.m. The sky was clear, no wind, and all the stars were easily visible. From where I sit on my deck, I look directly towards the airport. I was caught off guard by movement that came from directly above me. I looked up and saw what I can only describe as an orange glowing orb that was moving east towards the airport at a high rate of speed. I watched it travel across the sky from above my head at, say, the 12 o'clock position to about the 9 o'clock position in about three seconds. It then stopped, which would have been about three houses away from me at about 1,000 feet above the ground. I then got my first good look at this orb as it remained stationary and can describe to you that its size would have been that of a basketball. I could see that it was round and it had a dark orange center. After about 20 seconds, the craft shot out what I could only describe to be a blue whitish beam of light. 
Much like how a lighthouse sends out a beam, it rotated in a counterclockwise manner. The beam made only one rotation around the sky. After that, the orb then moved slowly downward to the treetop level. I stood up to watch the orb slowly skirt around the north side of the airport. It then changed directions and traveled southeast around the outer perimeter, and then it traveled away towards the east as it flew out of my sight. So I was dumbfounded because I know this craft was not an airplane because it made no sound. It had no blinking aeronautical lights that would identify it as a commercial plane. I know it was not a Chinese lantern because the closing speed being many times faster than any jet I've ever seen in the sky. And lanterns cannot remain stationary for 20 seconds and then shoot out a freaking beam of light. It felt to me like it was searching for something and was intelligently controlled, much like a drone. Now the strange part. About one month later, it came back. I watched it do the exact same thing as it searched the airport and it flew away out of sight. It seemed like it was searching for something. So, Graham, that's my story as I saw it. Let me know what you think it may have been. Chinese lantern. I have no idea. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's an interesting sighting. I wonder if there was any of those uh, with the bluish-white beam recorded in Terry Ray's Orange Orb book. Invasion of the Orange Orbs. That was a big hit. That was a good one. That was a good episode. So if you're interested in more of those sightings, we talked to Terry Ray who cataloged a shitload of those and mapped them out over the states, and it was a great interview. He might have been 100. He was either the last or the second last episode that we didn't have a number on, which seems like forever ago already. Right. This is 117, I think, or something like that. I wanted to mention something about that... uh, Terry Ray episode. I have a listener comment here from Jenny. And she says, I wanted to comment last night after listening to this, but I had second thoughts and decided to wait 24 hours to think about it. I've thought about it and say, I have to say what my gut says. You asked Terry Ray if he thought the reason there's such a drastic in- decrease in orb reports this past year may be due to a government insider in MUFON who has access to reports that come in, but erases the reports. I noticed a long pause by Mr. Ray and then his response that he highly doubts that. Okay, well, my gut thinks you may be spot on with your observation about the insider at MUFON. Have you heard of Dr. Jonathan Reed? There are some in the UFO community that think he's a hoax. I, for one, believe him. I have personally communicated with him via email about his situation. He is one of my favorite friends and I have an autographed copy of his book. One of the first places he contacted... One of the first places he contacted after his encounter was MUFON. He, his identity was basically erased and he lost his career, his girlfriend, his home, his beloved dog, Susie, and his entire lifestyle. And he was living a great life, a child psychologist and a very comfortable living. He was pursued by government agents immediately after contacting MUFON. In essence, I think that MUFON is a government-run agency. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there are a lot of great, honest, hardworking people like Mr. Ray at MUFON, but I believe that MUFON cannot be entirely trusted. And the trolls and other such people have done their work to smear Dr. Reed. He really suffered a great deal from his encounter. Sure, he has made some money on books and appearances, and so have other contactee experiences around the world. So thanks. Thanks, Jenny, for putting your thoughts together and the courage to write that out to us. Spam Graham. 
Which I say there's not been enough of lately. Darren's got a beef because he's got these synchronicity jingles and he can't play them. Synchronicity people... jingles. I got trip report jingles. I got... I got synchronicities like in my head from my own life, Darren. I can share with you anytime you're, we're short on listener ones. Okay. Now I don't know which jingle to play. <laughs> So now this is on me now. I have to pull one now out of the bag. On me. Pull one out of the bag, and I get to rate it. I haven't rated one, and it seems like forever. I'll only tell you if I don't want it rated. So now it's just a personal one. There's no like it's not a complex synchronicity. It's just a, a personal one. No, people appeal to people like you. So they'll appeal to you. They don't want me picking on your synchronicities, so they'll send in theirs. It's kinda like jumping on a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I took a UFO course in college in the mid nineties. Did you know about that? In college. Yeah. They had one at Douglas College. It was pretty cool. This guy had all the, like, a whole, like, handout and a, a, les- like a lesson, a, and you'd go, like, every night, and it'd be, like, hours of... It wasn't an actual college class. It was in Douglas College. Well, it was nighttime, night night school. Night school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Okay. So, I always remembered the teacher, right? I always, I just, like, even though it was mid-90s or whatever, I always remembered him. So, I'm in, let's say, 2000 and nine or 10, 2009. 2009 or 10, I'm painting like as a career, I've got a painting company, right? So I'm painting, I'm listening to podcasts and I'm just back into the UFO field, right? I've been thinking about this teacher and I remembered his name and everything. And I was like, I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if he's still involved in all this, right? Cause you, know, you wonder how it's been, what was it? 2095, let's say around 95 to yeah, it was almost 20 years, right? Like 18 years later. And he's just in my head. I'm thinking about him, right? I'm painting in North Vancouver and I go to the Starbucks there on the corner and I see this guy. I'm like, that looks like the teacher from my UFO class. And I'm looking at him, I go, it must be. It was like a day or two later after I had this major like thought about him. And I was going on in my head for a while, right? About what he's been doing. And I wonder how he, I wanted to ask him about ufology, right? So I go up to him as if he's going to remember me. <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, uh, didn't you teach that, that course in, in UFOs and call it in Douglas college? And he looks at me like I'm crazy. And I said, no, don't, didn't you teach something in 1985? My name's Graham. And I, I was trying to like introduce myself to him. Like he'd remember me. <laughs> and finally he admits to, to teaching this course. Mm-hmm. And I was asking, like, trying to bug him, but like, so what, are you following it still? Like, how's everything going? And I've been, I've been thinking about it again, like trying to strike up this conversation with him and basically said it, he got sick of it and fed up of it for a while there and, and left it. But he mentioned Benjamin Grundy. He's like, I don't listen to any of that stuff. Cause I think I was listening to some crazy, like pretty extreme UFO paranormal radio network kind of stuff. Right. He said, no, I kind of follow Benjamin Grundy. I think he mentioned I think that's how I found Mysterious Universe. From your old college UFO professor? Yeah. I will not rate that. (laughs) 
It's more of a ripple stick anyway. Right. But I'm not going to look all happy over there. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting. It's one of those ones that's meaningful to me, right? Like, how can I think about this guy? I haven't seen him for like 18 years. He doesn't even remember me, and I bump into him in a Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, in Vancouver? North Vancouver. North Vancouver. Lots of people. It's not a, like a, I know already you're thinking, was it the one Starbucks in like 20 miles? There's Starbucks all over the place there. Yeah. And I didn't even live in North Van. I didn't even spend a lot of time in North Van. Yeah. Anyways, don't Six. don't bother rating it. No, that's not bad. That's better than I expected. From you. From me. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> send in your synchronicities, please. Don't leave me hanging. Let Darren play his jingles. Damn straight. That also goes for like uh, trip reports, psychedelic experiences, UFO sightings, Sasquatch sightings, whatever, man. We want to hear about it. No judgment, no ridicule. Just general rambling. <laughs> I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone And don't believe it yet Remember for a while we were getting tons of lucid dream Oh, that too, yeah so, Yeah Hey, I want to mention something coming up here Before we forget, this should come out right beforehand But we got an email from Gary Gary K. For the past few years, I've missed the annual March Against Monsanto this year, I was smart enough to find out about it ahead of time. I've already emailed all of my friends to let them know. I was hoping I could get some some of our airtime to promote it on our show. So but I'm pro Monsanto. You're, you're pro, yeah, right. Nice try, buddy. Anyways, go to go to search it. There's a March Against Monsanto, uh, the 23rd of May. Here? Calgary? I think it's all over, buddy. All over? Yeah. Huh. I'll track it down and put a link in the show notes. You're a pro. Thanks, buddy. You are a pro. I was looking. I thought I had something else, but I'm fucking it eludes me. I can't find it, whatever the fuck it was. <sighs> Frustrating. Well, I want to talk about uh, the others report, but I think I'll save that to um, the next time. Uh, is there time? Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, I want to shout out to uh, to Todd. He does this, uh, got this app called The Others Report. And I'm just on the website now trying to uh, figure out, but I'd like to do this little segment where we could talk about um, some of the headlines that come on there. Like, So what he does is he, he correlates all these great news stories, the type of stuff we talk about. So he's got... Uh, uh, articles from Mysterious Universe, the Daily Grail, the Grailing Report, uh, websites like Humans Are Free, and he also puts uh, mutual UFO uh, network sightings on there. So some of the titles that you'd get, just to make it interesting here, is like that the New World or Order is Dying, 10 Recent Headlines That Offer Hope, The Mysterious Creator of the Siberian Wilderness is another one. There's one in here that's the 10, the 10 conspiracy, the top 10 conspiracies that actually came true or that actually ended up being true. That was one I kind of wanted to see if What's Darren wanted to one? read. Uh, there's the Enigmalith. That's a 100,000-year-old electrical component found embedded in stone. 
Probably some sort of fossilized something or other. Woman recounts death experience. Contact in the desert 2015. Massive lineup of researchers lecturing about UFOs and aliens. That's from Open Minds. So it's pretty uh, pretty cool app, pretty cool website. Just saves you from searching all around, kind of correlates it all. So I wanted to read the 10 outrageous conspiracies that actually turned out to be true. You want to guess number 10? UFO landing. Or moon landing. <laughs> UFO landing. <laughs> you think that's turned out to be true? I can't find it. I can't get into it. I don't want to guess either. <laughs> I'd be just throwing out Hail Marys. Kennedy? No. None. I don't know any. Okay, number one. Gulf of Tonkin. Escalator oh, of the Vietnam War. Is that War. when we fucking blew up our own ship? Or they blew up their own ship or some shit? Yeah. The number two is the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Deliberate non-treatment of syphilis-infected patient, patients. Number three is Project MKUltra, the CIA mind control program. So don't forget these are all conspiracies that ended up being true. Operation Northwoods, U.S. military had plans for false flag Cuban provocation. CIA drug trafficking in L.A. Operation Mockingbird, early Incarnation of media control. That's probably one of my favorites. COINTELPRO, 1960s counterintelligence programs against activists. Operation Snow White, the Church of Scientology infiltrated the government and stole information. National governments and corporations determined global economic policy in secret, the TPP and the TISA, etc. I like how they throw that little recent one in there. And then... The U.S. government illegally spies on its own citizens. Ain't that a bitch. Yeah, some good ones in there. So we're not all just conspiracy quacks. Not all of us. <laughs> uh, so what do you got, buddy? I was about to say something, wasn't I? I lost it. Oh, yeah, you wanted to talk about your... Something, didn't you, in Vancouver? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I left you a voicemail that you didn't play. I can't figure out how to play it. Nice. So but I know, at least I know I, I got the email. <clears throat> the email? They emailed me and said you left a oh, voicemail. Right. Oh. <laughs> so I'm just going to go to Vancouver on uh, June 6th, I think, to George Norian Friends. So it's like Richard Dolan's going to be there. So basically, it's like an interactive evening at the Hard Rock Casino in Vancouver, or actually it's in Coquitlam. So I'm not too sure what it's going to be like. I think there's going to be like a little expo there, like probably like a vendor room type thing. And then George is going to be with a bunch of guests from his coast-to-coast uh, -coast radio show. And there'll be sort of some sort of interactivity going on or answering questions and all that. So there's lots of tickets left still, but I'll be going there with a couple of friends. So it'll be cool to uh, to see people. If uh, I'll probably be wearing my Grand America shirt. If oh, you can bring easy in is it a spot? A quarter. Yeah, maybe. For sure. Maybe. Perfect. Oh, yeah, and we should say thanks to Napoleon uh, for the episode art. Uh, all the latest episode arts have been provided by him. Uh, if anyone else wants to take a crack at some, they're more than welcome. But big thanks to Napoleon, who's done the last. He's doing a great job. And, of course, check out his blog. He's been pumping them out. I know he said he's almost got a new one ready already. 
um, of his lucid dreaming. So I guess this will be the start of a new dream now. Damn, I'm going to miss Meg Ryan. Well, I think she's in all of them. Not his, probably not his second series. She's his dream sign. That's true. She will be in lots of them. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> yeah, check that out. Final the uh, Easter eggs. Yeah, you can. I think he said you can even message him. If you just put in the comments. No, maybe we yeah, put ideas or you can email them or something. I should get them a Grammarica email address. That's what I'll do. Yeah, Napoleon at Grammarica. Napoleon's tough to spell. So speaking of that, Darren gives out email addresses for subscribers. Uh, so we want to thank all the people that are subscribing because this is a value for value show with no ads, no interruptions, just lots of yabbering about interesting stuff, no corporate sponsors. So please uh, help out the show. Lots of ways to do that. Help us stay agenda free. Yeah. Turn you into the product. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, we did have a new subscriber. I can't find it here, but uh, he didn't say he wanted an email address. Uh, if you do want an email address, just let me know. Spam Graham and all, or spam me, or I can't find it. Um, Anyway, yeah, yeah and reviews the, reviews help out big time. Yeah, yeah, support the show grammarica.ca slash support. Um, review the show grammarica.ca slash iTunes, and that's about it. Sign up for the newsletter. That's right. Sign your friends up for the newsletter. Yeah, and tell friend. some friends. Just put your friend's email address in the newsletter, and or send even it to even them. you sign up. It's like less than fucking what? Less than five percent or are signed up for the newsletter everyone should be signed why wouldn't everyone be signed up for the newsletter yeah it just sends you reminders it's not like we're not selling anything it just sends you reminders about when the show's coming up and the ufo quotes and all that kind of stuff so it's just kind of like a little summary thing yeah big thanks to justin for that uh all different tentacles of the value for value model grammarica gemini enjoy the chat with john herlosky and we will see you in the outro This is Buzzy Willard. I got your message, and we heard you out here loud and clear. Y'all want voicemails? You're going to get them. I was over there at my good buddy's house. I'm not going to give you his name because that's not important here. But we was out by his grandpappy's windmill. We was loading the car, an Oldsmobile 442 Hemi, white lightning. I don't need to say no more than that. You know what's going on. We saw an orb that I, I swear that thing was bigger it was bigger than the entire barn. It come rushing at us, and we didn't have to think twice. We got underneath that old 442 Hemi, and we just got down there. Next thing we know, the car is a shaking and a wheeling all around. It comes up. We go running into the barn. Next thing you know, we're looking over there, and it's gone. Ain't nothing there. Come on back to the car. No white lightning. <laughs>
There is none of that liquor that we done distilled all by ourselves. It's gone. I don't know what you know, but I'm telling you right now, orbs like white lightning. And it just kills me to know that we just lost the entire load. You boys keep it up now. Okay, guys, in Grimerica tonight, we're going to be chatting with John Herlowski about all sorts of fun stuff. <coughs> Jesus. But first, uh, how's it going, buddy? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm excited for tonight. We've talked about... Uh, we won't be talking about Jesus, I don't think. No, no, we won't be. Well, you never know. He might come up. But we, uh, we've we talked about CIA's Project Stargate, and we've had people from the Monroe Institute on before. So this topic will be... Somewhat familiar to people, but I think we're going to hear a different take on it. We've got John Herlowski here, who's written a book called A Sorcerer's Apprentice, and it's a skeptic's journey into the CIA's Project Stargate. So it should be pretty interesting to hear his take. He's had a real interesting background. He's worked for a couple uh, large police departments. He's been trained in SWAT tactics as a designated marksman. He sounds like a dangerous dude. (laughs) But he's uh, he's also considered an expert in the field of human performance technology, so... I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. And he's uh, the co-director and co-founder of a nonprofit think tank called the Institute of Evolutionary Technologies, as well as a co-director of Project Trojan Warrior 2, which is a mind-body integration training program. So sounds like he's coming from some kind of high-tech and some interesting training, and then he, and then he gets involved in this uh, Project Stargate. So we're interested to hear all about that. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Yeah, we're looking forward to this. So I guess, uh, you know, I mean, people have heard about Stargate quite a bit. It's been, you know, ever since it sort of unofficially or officially got shut down, whatever you whatever you believe on that front, uh, people have sort of heard about it and remote viewing is being trained, you know, all over North America now in people's uh, church basements and community centers. <laughs> so, <laughs> but maybe just get you to start by... Uh, summarizing what Project Stargate is, I guess, and then maybe we'll get into the, the backstory. You think everyone knows what remote viewing is? Uh, yeah, I think so. it's yeah, getting pretty common. Yeah. Pretty know. If yeah. they don't know, they're new. <laughs> but we'll get John to explain anyways. Sounds like a plan. So yeah, tell us about Project Stargate. Well, back Summer, on the... Summary anyways. Summary anyways? Yeah. Okay. Basically what it was was... Um, groundbreaking program that was initiated by the CIA um, to use people who were trained in a scientifically validated form of ESP Mm -hmm. and to use that to spy on uh, the Soviet Union, China. Um, They also use it against uh, the drug lords as well. Huh. That's interesting. Yes. (laughs) And that ran for couple decades, wasn't it? Uh, actually, a little over 25 years. Wow. Yeah. So you got to figure that if 
if it ran that long <laughs> under the, the scrutiny of various uh, congressional committees, it had to be a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, mind you, they were they were peeking into the drug lords, so maybe they were just you know funding it that way. <laughs> ah, that's an interesting thought. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll save that for later. So, okay. so, so that was in twenty five years. So, when did you enter enter the program? Like, how did that happen? Well, the program actually ended in nineteen ninety five. Oh, that's when it was. Yeah, okay, okay, and. In late 1997, I happened to read a book um, by David Morehouse uh, by the name of Psychic War. Oh, my, my dad had that book. I found it actually as an audio book after, yeah. after he passed away, and I, I actually listened to the audio book. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. And the, interesting, the most interesting thing about the book was the fact, not so much the fact that the CIA was involved in psychic espionage, the capital ESP, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that they took a special operations soldier, you know, a, a company commander in the Rangers, and trained him in the use of ESP. Hmm. That was the part that really intrigued me. I mean, how can you teach someone? ESP. So I bought the book and I read it in a single sitting. Hmm. And it just blew me away. I had never heard of any such a technology before. So I started reading up as much as I could and I tried to get a hold of Dr. Morehouse, but at the time he was overseas. But in 1999, the spring of 1999, um, I happened to see a notice. Uh, at UCLA that he was going to be there to teach a beginning and intermediate course in controlled remote viewing, mm. CRV. So I signed up for it right away. And that's how I got into this particular um, program. Mm. So before that, you were, you were, were you doing those, um, what was I read? Like the human performance technology type stuff? Like, uh, and were you, into your physical kind of combat stuff, like the martial arts and all that. So it must've been hard if, if you were down that path, it must've been hard to, to realize that, wow, okay, like we can actually do more with, uh, psychic abilities or, or the yeah. mind. Yeah. I was pretty much a skeptic. Um, when we were involved in Trojan Warrior 2, this was a program that was originally classified and it was run by the U S army for their special forces people. Mm -hmm. And when it was declassified um, in 1990, I had heard about the program after reading a book by one of its uh, uh, trainers, uh, Dr. Richard Strazzi Heckler. And I contacted him, and he thought it would be a great idea to use this particular technology for law enforcement to adapt it. Because this was right about the time that LAPD had the Rodney King um, incident. Yeah, yeah. And and we both felt that this type of a program would work out really well for a police department. Hmm. And while we were researching different technologies to put in the program, I had come across remote viewing, but being a skeptic and being one of those 
people who had, number one, never had a psychic experience in my life. You know, I haven't seen a ghost or a UFO. And as far as I know, Elvis is still dead. <laughs> you know, um, I had never really had much of an interest in that particular technology. It wasn't until I read Dave's book that um, it really started to intrigue me. And it was because of the reason that they actually train people to do this that I got interested in. Right. Huh. So I, I kind of have a couple different questions. I'm not sure which angle to go on right now. I guess I want to talk about uh, um, the 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 time when you when you took the course. So the, the book obviously kind of opened you up to the possibility, but was there a time during your training when you really realized that it was real or, or did you still have some sort of some reservations in the back of your head going, oh, I don't know if this is really possible. Like, was there a moment when you realized, wow, this is true? That eureka moment? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Besides, besides the book. Um, I would say that my, I always had, um, reservations about the particular technology the entire pretty much the entire time that i was with um morehouse learning this uh this technology mm -hmm. because it just seemed so outrageous that that from two sets of four numbers that were randomly chosen you could actually go to a place and bring back information on that place, even though it was distant in space and time in some cases. Yeah. It just, it was just so difficult to get your head wrapped around that type of a concept. But I think the point where I realized that there was really something to this was in Dave's second class, his advanced class um, called Extended Remote Viewing. And we had been sent against the, um, the Mars Sojourner rover at, at the Twin Peaks area of Mars. And I had had an experience called a bilocation. And a bilocation is where you identify so strongly with your target site that you begin to actually physically experience symptoms that you would if you were at actually at the target site. Wow. And because it was so real, I mean, it was as if I was actually there. I mean, I, it was such a mind bending experience because the clarity with which I was able to see was basically the same as you and I see every day. It was that clear an experience. And although it, when you are in this particular state, you cycle up and down through it. So sometimes it, it blurs out and then comes back again mm -hmm. and because it's a, it's, it's actually very much a chore to try and stay in the zone area. Yeah. Yeah. When you are actually in the zone area, it is absolutely amazing. Now, was that the one on, did you say it was on Mars when you guys were remote viewing Mars? Yeah. Yes, that was the, the target. The target was the Mars Sojourner rover. Wow. Was President Obama there? <laughs> <laughs> I looked, but I didn't see him. Uh, can you describe a little bit about what you did see? You know, it's funny because when we were given the target coordinates, um, Dave said that this was going to be a very interesting target, that we should relax and enjoy the experience. So when I dropped into the target area, 
um, I looked around and it was this relatively flat plain. And there were, there were just rocks anywhere from pebbles all the way up to fist-sized rocks that were strewn all the way as far as I could see out to the horizon. And there were, as I was looking out to the horizon, there were these two small hills out there. And there was virtually nothing else. Huh. I mean, it was, it was like a desert tableau. At first, I was thinking that I was actually in Death Valley, that that was the target. But one of the things that I experienced, because at the time I was, I was undergoing a bilocation, was the fact that it felt like it was getting, it was getting really hard to breathe. I, I felt short of breath there. Interesting. And it was... It was very uncomfortable, actually. I, I mean, I wanted to, to like breathe, try to breathe more in, because I felt like I was I was short of breath when I was there. And another thing that that uh, started to um, become noticeable to me was the fact that if I tilted my head up and I looked up in the sky, you would see. The sky went dark. It actually went black, and you could see stars. But when I looked down towards the horizon, the black gave way to like this salmon-colored sky, and it was just really strange. I mean, the horizon looked somewhat foreshortened, as if it wasn't like if if looking out towards the two hills, I was looking up, and then at the point where the the two hills peaked. There was like a big cliff on the other side, right? And I couldn't see the uh, the valley below or whatever. It just seemed like it was really foreshortened. And as I was contemplating this, I heard a um, this high pitched sound, and I saw a what I I thought was a dust devil go whirling by. And the interesting thing was was that I could see these. Well, it looked like electrical sparks or um, or fireflies that were inside the the uh, the vortex, and it was just it was all surreal. And I was thinking to myself, well, if Dave said this was a really interesting target, why is it all I'm looking at is just this big rock? Garden? <laughs> you know, I mean, what? Where's the interest? So I started turning around and looking, and I, I didn't see anything, and then. I just, for the hell of it, looked down at my feet, and there, right at my feet, was this rectangular-shaped panel. And it was this bluish-red color, and it had electronic wires um, crisscrossing it. And I was thinking to myself, well, whoa, what, what's this? So I started to step back to see what was, what was there to get a better look at it. And right at that time, of course, my friend who happened to be adjacent to me doing the same target uh, fell asleep, which is not unusual when you are doing an extended remote viewing session because you're actually in a very, very deep hypnagogic state, which is right on the edge of dream. Yeah. And so it's not unusual for a viewer to cycle down, fall asleep for a bit, then come back up. Well, he had fallen asleep, but Unfortunately, he started to snore, <laughs> and he this big snort came through, and it like it yanked me back from where I was 
to the room that all of us were in. And the only way I can explain the sensation was as if you were on one end of a stretched out rubber band and they let go one of the ends and you get snapped back that fast. And I had a like this vertigo going because it, it was such a dizzying sensation. Well, I tried to get back down to the target again, but the time allotted for that particular session was already up. So I, I drew my, my uh, session sketches and wrote down my summary and left it at that. <sighs> but the interesting thing was, you know, you're thinking, well, God, this was a boring session. Up until the point when Dave put the, the feedback up on the, um, uh, the viewer, uh, the overhead viewer, and it, the target was, you know, the Mars Sojourner rover on Mars. And I, I mean, I had shown my sketches before he had shown the, um, the feedback to a couple of my friends who were taking the course with me. And, you know, I showed them what I had. And I was telling them, you know, I, I don't think I was anywhere. I think I was just dreaming. Well, of course, I wasn't dreaming at all. I had described the area absolutely perfectly. Wow. In fact, if you, look at, if you looked at the, the view that was of the, uh, the rover and the uh, expanse behind it that went out to the horizon, I described it almost exactly. So that panel was the rover? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was the solar cell that was up on top of the rover. It's a flat, um, rectangular-shaped panel that actually does um, appear blue. The reason I, it looked reddish-blue to me was, of course, the atmosphere of Mars uh, tends to give you a reddish um, tin, tint to everything there. So, so it appeared bluish-red to me. Is it, uh, is it like riding a bike, would you say, or like... Or is it something that if you don't use it, you lose it? Um, you know, that's interesting. That's a, actually a good question. It, you, you never lose the ability, okay? Your psychic antenna, so to speak, are always up. And it, sometimes you will pick up impressions, you know, like during the day. Um, but you're... Ability to successfully or accurately draw and um, bring back information does deteriorate if you don't practice. So most of the remote viewers out there that use this on a day that use this, um, uh, let's say, on a uh, continuing basis, practice their their craft because you can lose your. Um, your accuracy level. Hmm. What did what do you think about the uh the the people that had that similar experience or not the people but it was uh one of the famous remote viewers was seeing the the moon or the dark side of the moon or had an encounter where he actually had spotted a I think entities spotted him kind of in his you know alternate uh dimensional yeah. experience kind of See the being a skeptic, it was hard enough to wrap my head around the idea that remote viewing was real. I mean, I don't want to dismiss experiences like that because I did have something similar to that happen to me later on in Dave's classes. 
Right. Um, but that's uh, it's just so far beyond what I'm really used to that I'm really uncomfortable with that. I mean, it was their experience. I understand they had that experience. And I believe that what they experienced was real for them. It's just hard for me to understand something like that. Is it the part where he would be noticed by some other entity that's hard for you to accept? Um, or or just the, that he saw or what he saw up there? Well, it's what he saw up there. I, I'm one of those skeptics that believe that uh, we haven't been visited by uh, alien advanced technology. Uh-huh. That's simply my opinion. I don't believe we have because I haven't seen enough evidence of it. Right. And when you understand the physics and technology necessary to travel between stars and to realize just how far apart stars really are, um, you begin to realize that searching for another civilization um, in our, at our level of technology becomes, I mean, Searching for a needle in a haystack the size of the state of California would be easy in comparison. Yeah. Via a spaceship, not your consciousness, obviously. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, I've had some absolutely amazing experiences on that particular level where it wasn't the moon that I was at, but rather far out in deep space, where I had experiences like that that I. You know, all I can say is, well, if I was able to accurately describe the Sojourner rover on Mars to that extent, then you have to give my experience that I had or they had um, with a target that was off planet where feedback isn't really possible. You still have to give it some credence because the technology used was exactly the same. Mm. Is, uh, what about time? Is time an issue? Like, can you only look at what's happening now? Can you look, is there a limit on how far back or how far forward you can go if it's possible at all? As far as we have been able to ascertain, uh, there are no limits in space or time. Um, you can access the past just as easily as you can the present. Um, accessing the future? Yes, it is possible but we still don't quite understand what that means. I mean, if you're able to look into the future, and let's say we saw 9-11, and I use that because I accidentally did have an experience where I was privy to that particular experience 96 hours before it actually happened, although I didn't realize it at the time. Of course, yeah. It wasn't until afterwards that um, I realized where the connection lay. But let's say, you know, you, you get into ideas where, well, if you know what's going to happen and you take steps to make sure that it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen, did what you see actually <laughs> was part of the future? <laughs> yeah, or was it just you know a possibility? I mean? or... Just a possibility? I mean, you get Only into- possibilities. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You get into some really mind-bending thoughts when you start playing with the future like that. Yeah, yeah. See, my conspiratorial mind goes to like the past and and what if the CIA had these people doing this and they realized that it's somewhat reliable? Like, wouldn't you have people 
going back to those important uh, Wait, it's not, you're times not in the past. I'm traveling. You're only looking. Well, no, you, you go can't back. Well, you can read books and like read read important documents. Like you could find the true history of things, right? Whether it's about the occult or certain things like that would give them I don't know. power. Can you right? like open a book? Can you? No, you can only look at the book closed on the counter. I imagine, right? Well, there are some limitations to remote viewing. Um, it's primarily a right-brained aspect, so that when you are viewing something, um, you tend to see things as they are, but viewing things like numbers and letters and written stuff is much more difficult. It can be done and it has been, and it has happened. Um, remote viewers have actually, um, accessed written documents inside of safes and been able to decipher some of the writing in there, hmm. but it, it's not usual and it is difficult, but it is possible huh. as, as for going back into the past, yes, it's it's very easy. As a matter of fact, um, it's relatively routine to a remote viewer. Now, going into the future, yes. But because of the fact it is in the future, um, you, you have to wonder exactly if you are seeing things that are really going to happen and, and there's no way you can change them, which means, you know, are we predestined or, you know, can you change the future if you have future knowledge of it? Wow, and, I'll give, yeah. and I'll give you an example. Um, Paul Smith, uh, one of the original military remote viewers, uh, when he was at the Fort Meade Stargate unit one day, he had been tasked by one of the project managers on, a, on what is called an open search outward. And in an open search outward, you get coordinates to a target, but the target is like a wild card. It isn't assigned to any particular target. Mm -hmm. It's simply like a shotgun blast into the matrix uh, to see what's out there, what's interesting, what's going to happen in the future. Well, the project manager was looking for something UFO related, but um paul described a warship that had been hit by a missile which exploded and caused death and destruction and so they they wrote up everything they wrote up the uh the session as an actual possibility that might happen in the near future you know so that the warning would go out to the u.s navy that you know, there are possibilities out there that might mean that you may be attacked in the next 48 hours or so. Well, it was sent up the chain of command, but they don't know whether it was listened to or not. Hmm. Uh, but 48 hours after Paul had done the, the actual <coughs> viewing, the USS Stark in the Gulf of Sidra was hit by a missile fired by an Iranian warplane. And Paul's description of what happened virtually matched exactly what happened on that ship. That'll learn you. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, that was 48 hours into the future. But, but once again, you know, that brings up the thought, what if they had listened? What if they had put that alert out? 
And the Stark, instead of being in a regular, you know, relaxed condition too, was mm. at general quarters. They had their radars up and running, and they had their um, uh, point defense weapons ready to go. And they destroyed the missile. What then would that mean about the the viewing that Paul had done? He described an explosion. If they had listened to the um, the warning, and the Stark had fired and and hit the missile and destroyed it before it hit the ship, then his description of the death and destruction on the ship would have been wrong. Wow. Yeah, it, it makes you think. I wonder if we, it's too bad we don't have more examples of where, you know, history is altered because of that. But I guess it's hard to prove that too, because, yeah. uh, you know, they, <laughs> they said, it's unverifiable. Well, not yeah, only that, yeah. but proven in a soft way too. Like just that if Buddy saw something happen and then you change the course and you say, well, it just never happened. So it's kind of, yeah, it's like an oxymoron yeah. or something. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it kind of interesting because when you deal with the future, you're dealing in a situation in the unrealized. So if by seeing the future, can you change that future? Um, Interesting thought, because it has, it has connections then with the ideas of free will versus predetermination. Do we really have free will? Is that an illusion? Or maybe because, we already had free will. You know, or is everything predetermined? Is the future fixed? I wonder if it's just like time's not linear. So we already made all those choices or who knows, you know, that's like, that's where oh, shit gets yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can really bend your mind around something like this. Yeah. When you're talking about the reading, it, it, it made me think, yeah, it makes sense because when you're reminding me of the lucid dreaming, like one of the ways to realize that you're actually dreaming is to read something and then turn around and read it again. And it's like very hard to read something in a, in a dream. Like it basically, it's very fluid. So it yeah, sounds, it sounds similar. There's the reason about um, why that is, and that is because remote viewing essentially brings your unconscious up into the conscious. It's a communication between your conscious mind and your unconscious mind, because your unconscious mind has its is connected on a very fundamental level with I don't know creation, if you want to call it yeah, that. Yeah the Akashic records or whatever, however you want to label that. We label it, uh, the matrix. Yeah. Okay. Of all creation. But essentially what you're, what it seems to be is that, that your unconscious mind has a connection with the wave function of the universe. And so all information, uh, irrespective of time or distance is available to your unconscious. And all you're doing is simply teaching a manner of communication between your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. Now, the reason that reading letters and numbers and names and things like that is difficult is because your unconscious mind doesn't function like that. That's a left-brained function, okay? That's analytical. That's uh, logical you know, math and, and reading skills. That's all um, right, um, excuse me, left-brained. Whereas with your 
with, with your unconscious, it uses things like allegory. And I'll give you an example of, of how the, the unconscious mind can uh, communicate with a remote viewer. We were given a target uh, one day, and my good friend Sandra um, described dolphin okay, on this target. She kept seeing dolphin for some reason. Well, the target was the opera house in Sydney Harbor. Now, the interesting thing is, is that the designer who designed the Sydney Opera House actually called the structure the dolphin. <laughs> Those uh, shell-shaped curves on there was designed to look like several dolphins um, surfacing through the water, you know, the curved back. So he actually calls it the dolphin. So you see, that's the reason why Sandra kept seeing dolphins when she went to that target, because her unconscious mind was speaking to her in allegory, so that her description of dolphins actually was spot on. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's actually, and there are a number of other um, uh, situations where remote viewers have, have had allegory which um, actually describes uh, parts of the target. So like, it's an unusual thing to happen. I guess we shouldn't, we shouldn't gloss over the 9-11 premonition either. Could you tell us a bit about what you saw there? Like sure. who done it? <laughs> who done it? Yeah, there you go. We don't have to go there. <laughs> um, that was actually a fluke. It was purely fortuitous. I was working with a, um, a scientist by the name of Marty Rosenblatt, and he was doing research in associative remote viewing, which is a type of remote viewing um, that is used for uh, forced choice decisions, meaning you have a, um, a binary choice, either this choice or that choice, okay? And... Remote, this type of remote viewing is used to look ahead in time. And this is one of, its, one of the cases where you actually do use time travel to see what's going to happen into the future. You don't actually see what's happening, but rather you assign something to, in this case, it was pictures. You'd assign a certain picture to one choice and assign a different picture to another choice. And to illustrate that, let me, let me use what uh, happened in this particular instance. And that was, Marty was looking at stock options. He wanted to know whether a particular stock option in, what was it, uh, three days hence, I think it was, were either going to um, rise or stay the same or fall. So that was the choice. Is this stock option going to go up or is it going to stay the same or drop? So those were the two forced choices here on this particular experiment. Now, Marty had this computer program called Misty, which took two pictures from a large pool of photographs taken of various objects and things all around, from all around the world. 
And the idea was the computer would choose one picture that would be shown in the future for one outcome and a different picture if the outcome was the other choice. So what you were doing is you weren't actually looking to, to see what the event actually was. You were going to view into the future your feedback for what actually happened. So in this case, the computer chose one picture, which was of a tree-lined path through a forest. And the other picture was um, the Twin Towers. Now, the computer had chosen the tree-lined path if the um, uh, stock option had stayed the same or dropped, and it had chosen the picture of the uh, Twin Towers if the stock option was going to go up. Now, this is interesting because you don't, you are shown, after you do your viewing, you write down, you know, your description of the picture that you are going to be shown in three days, okay? When you make your choice, the, the computer brings up both pictures. And it doesn't tell you which picture is which or what it's assigned to. It just shows you the two pictures. And you have to choose between the two pictures mm. which one of them looks like what you are going to be shown by the computer after it's found out what that stock option does. And the computer at that time will only show you one of those two pictures based on whether or not it went up or it stayed the same or went down. So to me, I was looking at a cityscape. I was seeing buildings and bridges and water and boats and stuff like that. So the other picture of the tree-lined path had absolutely no correspondence to anything that I saw that was going to be shown to me in the future. So that's what I chose as the, the picture that was going to be shown to me 96 hours hence. Wow. Well, not only did I see the buildings and all of that, I also saw a bunch of stuff that, at the time, didn't make any sense to me. I saw two large spired or jagged craters that um, were not smooth top, they were really jagged. And I saw lots of, I thought it was snow because it was light colored, but it could have been you know, a lot of dust cloud or something like that. I also saw lots of dogs. And I saw what appeared to be, it looked like it was either the fuselage of an airplane or a train, you know, like a subway train, because it was round, I mean, cylindrical, but it had windows on the side and the front end was flat. Okay. I wrote down all of these impressions, even though, you know, if they didn't have any correspondence, I thought at the time to the picture I was looking at simply because I just figured it was what we call AOL or analytical overlay, which is simply your mind attempt to put a label on what you're seeing. Hmm. So I wrote it all up. I made my choice and didn't think anything of it. Well, on December or September 11th, um, I went back to the library where I was doing the experiment. And as I walked through the door, I thought it 
rather interesting that they had a TV monitor up on the um, the librarian's desk, and it was, you know, there was a television program going on. And I had never seen anything like that happen before in the library. Usually they try and keep things quiet. But I didn't put any credence to it. And I had gone to the library right after getting up. I had not listened to the radio or turned the TV on or anything like that. I just grabbed some coffee, something to eat, and went out the door because I wanted to see what the, the results were. So I, I sat down on the, um, at the computer console and pulled up uh, the search engine in order to go to Marty's uh, Misty site. And I saw a picture of what appeared to be a, a jetliner crashing into the side of a, of a building. And I thought to myself, wow, they can really do really cool things nowadays with computer-generated imagery. <laughs> You know, because I, had, I, I wasn't reading anything. I just happened to glance at the picture. I was busily typing in the, um, the into the search engine the, Euro, the URL for Marty's site. So I went to the site and um, put my passwords in and everything, and it the asked the computer to bring up the picture that was the proper response. Well, to, to my dismay, it wasn't what I saw. It was the tree-lined path because the stock option had fallen precipitously. And I was just, I was just really chagrined. I mean, I thought to myself, God, I, how could I have missed this one? You know, I had seen everything in that other picture. The, the picture of the tree-lined path had nothing to do with what I had seen. Right. Right? So I was just really dejected. I just thought to myself, man, this is going to drop my my uh, average, because, you know, we were scoring multiple trials. And, you know, it made me question, once again, my belief in the ability of remote viewing. Because being a skeptic, it's, it, that's always in the back of your mind whenever you do a, a remote viewing session. You know, am I really seeing this? Am I really doing this? And at the time, I was still had ambivalent feelings about this particular technology. So I closed the web the the search engine out without even looking at the uh, what was going on. I was just so dejected that I just, you know, shut it down and just got up and left. So I still didn't know what had happened. So I drove home and I threw the my paperwork because I had printed out the, the actual pictures of the of what I chose and what actually was the correct site mm -hmm. and I'd toss them on my desk and um, I was just you know just really pissed off at myself so I, I turned the boob tube on to just kind of channel surf for a bit and of course the news was on every channel it wouldn't matter where you went and they were talking about you know, the, the situation. And I was looking at the Twin Towers and it didn't really um, register with me what I was looking at. You know, they were, they were showing the, the buildings from, from really close up and they were only showing one building at a time. And mm -hmm. they, you know, the smoke coming out and <clears throat> excuse me, the, the fire and the flames and everything. And it didn't register with me. And I'm thinking, God bless, when did this happen? 
you know, and they started telling, you know, this had happened, just happened, and this is coming to you live, and all this other stuff. And then they took a shot from the helicopter from across the river, and it almost exactly duplicated the shot, except from a higher vantage point, of the one that I had been given by the computer that I had printed out. And when they showed that to me, something clicked in my mind, and I thought, oh, my God, that's, that's the feedback picture. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I, I immediately went over to my desk, you know, started throwing stuff around, saying, what did I do with that shot? What did I do with that shot? And I found it, and I looked at it, and I thought, holy crap. And I looked at because I kept the paperwork that I had written all of the, um, the no my notes on and looked at it and thought, holy crap. I actually saw it back on Friday because that's when I had done the actual original viewing of the target. And because the computer had chosen the target, you know, at random that happened to be the Twin Towers, I think that's part of the reason why I managed to intercept what was happening 96 hours in advance of when it actually did. And the interesting thing is, is that the stock actually dropped. So the correct picture was the other picture. Yeah. Yet, yet this incident was so powerful in its impact on human consciousness that it intruded on my session such <laughs> that I was able to see what was happening that far in advance. That's funny because I was going to ask, it always seems like uh, when we talk about these things that emotion seems to play a role somehow, like large groups of this, of kind of consecutive emotion can somehow warp it or somehow have an effect that's measurable. As very much, in fact, they actually, after reports started coming in from various remote viewers of a similar situation like this and other aspects, such as what I, I told you about with Paul Smith, they, they started what is called the, the Global Consciousness Project. Yeah. And, and what they did was they had um, random number generators scattered across the planet. And they tried to correlate changes in the output from random to non-random when significant uh, global situations occurred like 9-11 and they found that there was a definite correlation between really emotional impact type events happening in the world and the change in the output of these random number generators hmm. so in the the wave function of the universe evidently these are impacts that cause ripples that travel through space and time and remote viewers because they have their if you will, their foot dipped in the pool, are able to connect with what is going on. Like, yeah, yeah, that's well said. Mm. So, how do you feel about getting a little personal here about the current paradigm we're living in, and how you know we are still kind of controlled isn't the right word, but still kind of living under the thumb of the materialist dogma, and, and the you know that we're just biological robots, as some of our guests would say, and that that none of this is possible and you can't measure it. So it's not true. We'll just put it in that bucket and ignore it over there. Like, how do you feel now that you've kind of, <clears throat> you know, turned this corner in your life and do you ever worry about that? I, Does it concern you? 
Oh yeah, that's a that's actually that's an uh, an excellent point because that's actually the reason why I I wrote the book, and you're right. Um, Dave used to call it the unconscious of the conscious. People go out go through their lives in this I don't know state of light hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And, you know they they are so focused in on their lives and their you know who's paying the bills. And, social media and all these other things and they've closed their minds off to the real truth that's out there you know the the actual reality of our universe um it's i agree with you completely that um this is like a measure of control not unlike that portrayed in the movie the matrix where you know the government controls your your news and your your perception of what's going on in the world yeah and the fact of the matter is there's more that exists in your philosophy than what you believe in there's a whole world out there beyond what you believe is true and you you can see that with the evolution of science i mean when you when you think back um, for for basically a thousand years or more, you know, the Earth was the center of the universe. You know, everything revolved around the Earth. And then, of course, um, with Galileo and Copernicus, you know, you, you realize, well, I guess the Earth isn't the center of the universe. You know, we are actually uh, revolving around the sun. But it was a me- mechanistic universe. I mean, Newton held sway with the idea of a clockwork universe. If you use Newton's um, uh, mechanics, Newtonian mechanics, you could predict where a planet was going to be, where a star was going to be, and everything was like a clockwork. You know, it was like like the whole universe was meshed together like a giant mechanism. And, you know, for several hundred years, that was the view of the universe. It was a giant mechanism, you know, and it was, it was, you know, the sum of its parts. And that changed abruptly in the 20th century with the uh, development of uh, two of the greatest physical theories in human history, uh, the theory of relativity and the theory of quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. And the the world of Newton suddenly morphed into this other world where things are not quite what they seem. And the clockwork universe was no longer a clockwork universe. It was a universe of sublime um, truth to it, you know, where particles have a schizoid um, existence where they can appear and reappear, you know, light years apart in an instant where um, you can only know so much about a particle, and in the act of knowing that particle, you actually change the particle. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an entirely different universe that we inhabit now. So, you know, the ideas of people nowadays need to start to realize that we live in an incredibly sublime and mysterious universe so just because we don't quite understand 
how something works or why something works doesn't mean it doesn't work. Exactly. I think it's closer to the matrix than we think. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's almost, as a matter of fact, the Wachowski brothers actually chose the title to the movie based on um, the matrix description for remote viewers. That's where they got that idea. Oh, wow. And that's the way people act, as if they were, you know, plugged into the matrix. You know, they're seeing things that the news wants you to see. They're seeing things the way the government wants you to see it. And you need to open your mind. You cannot take anything at face value. You need to make your own decisions about not only life, but how you fit into life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like the old TV show, The X-Files, where Fox Mulder used to preach all the time. The truth is out there. You got to look for it, though. Yeah. So I seem to want to ask this to almost all our guests for some reason, but I am interested in, in the answers. So you've been, since you took that first course in 99, it's been, you know, a decade and a half or whatever. Have you noticed um, an opening up of, of our consciousness and our minds? Like, what, how do you see the last kind of decade going? Uh, you, you know, know you have the internet in there. and Yeah. Yeah, the, I, uh, see, that's part of the problem. People get so immersed in everyday life stuff, and with the advent of electronics that are just you know mind-blowing in capabilities, like uh, smartphones, for instance, people start to tend to live their life out of their smartphone and ignoring this beautiful universe around them. And I think we have a, a, a balancing act here between technology on one hand and the philosophical aspects of the reality of life and you need to balance the two i mean you really do need to make a connection with you know your spiritual side otherwise it atrophies i mean if you don't use it you lose it for every uh for every eight hours or for every you could go maybe for every 48 hours of screen time you gotta eat it yeah ground mushrooms yeah there you go there you go i prefer shiitake myself (laughs) yeah i struggle with that one though because in some ways it's making us more connected and it's almost an allegory to the matrix it's it's uh it's allowing us to have that social uh i think i think we have an innate social desire right like you know how you hear people about you know you're happiest when you have like this social cohesive social group and all this or you're they were actually not, company yeah and like how you know isolation is is bad so in some ways the technology is helping us uh is connect on a level that we've never ever even thought possible before without it being some sort of um, yeah. metaphysical consciousness act yeah and but the the good thing about that is is that there is a whole universe of information available to everybody on the web. I mean, it's getting in more increasingly difficult to hide the truth. Yeah. Because there are so many ways to find the truth out there. I mean, remote viewing is one, because you can't lie to a remote viewer. I mean, you say that, you know, the, we, don't have a, we don't have a base at Area 51. <laughs> There's no way we have a base at Area 51. We don't even know what a Area 51 is. Well, tell that to her. You know, you assign a remote viewer to that particular target. He's going to draw the whole thing. So 
you can't hide the truth from a remote viewer. And um, that's, that's kind of like the, the internet in a way. It's really hard to hide the truth when there are so many things out there. If you lie about something in, in particular, like our government has been known to do from time to time, um, you're going to find the truth. I mean, and I'll give you a classic example of that that comes straight from my book. And that's the situation regarding the loss of um, the first pilot in the first Gulf War, uh, Michael Scott Spiker. Um, the Pentagon said that he was shot down during the first day of the war by an Iran, uh, excuse me, Iraqi MiG-25, and that he died in the crash. Well, we know from a, for facts now, thanks to a young lady by the name of Amy Waters-Jarsinski, hmm. did the uh, investigation into that and is chronicled in her book, um, An American in the Basement, and the prequel to it, the um, Nobody Left Behind, um, that this was not the truth. The truth of the matter is, Spiker was shot down, but it wasn't by the Iraqis. He was shot down by friendly fire. He was a victim of fratricide. Uh, due to um, some miscommunications, he was hit by a, an AIM-7 missile from a Navy F-14. Oh, wow. That had been given the target by a, an AWACS aircraft, where the controller had made a mistake. You know, it happens. You know, it's the fog of war. But unfortunately, it was, it was, the result of it was the fact that Spiker had been shot down by one of our own people. Early on. Early on, first day of the war. And the, the idea that he had died in the crash was subsequently shown to be wrong. He survived the crash. As a matter of fact, he tried to contact uh, search and rescue on a number of occasions by leaving messages in the desert using rocks spelled out, you know, his name and things like that. He hid for, for I think it was a year, if not more, with a, a band of Bedouins um, who, unfortunately for him, were antithetical to um, the Hussein regime. Huh. But unfortunately, you know, all the, all the um, interest in trying to find him at the time, because the family never, never thought the, the explanation given by the Pentagon was true, um, that interest kind of worked against Spiker, and he was eventually found by Saddam's forces. And the result of that was um, eventually the, you know, the capture and, and subsequent death in captivity. and. Um, the massacre of the entire Bedouin tribe, men, women, and children, were hiding them. Well, it's, it's frustrating because even though these things do come to light, it feels like to me that it's, it's too late in a way, right? Like once you get that meme out there, once you get the mainstream talking about something, regardless of whether it's true or not, it's kind of already done a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's really sad because this man, you know, put his life basically, in, in our country. And, you know, the, the oft-mentioned term, you know, 
leave no one behind. Obviously, he was one who fell through the cracks, and he wasn't the only one. There were a number of others that fell through the cracks as well. But he's the one that I use in my book because I had a a connection with that particular um, person. So, yeah, I mean, the government sometimes lies when they shouldn't. They should simply accept responsibility. But the problem with our government is, is that it's so hard to accept responsibility when you did something wrong. You know, I mean, you've got, I mean, the, you know, the tef Teflon responsibilities, I guess you call it, where everything slides off and everybody's pointing fingers, but nobody's accepting the responsibility for what happened. Mm. That's unfortunate, um, pretty much endemic with our government. Do you still uh, practice remote viewing yourself? Where are you at with it now, all, all these years later? Well, actually, I still work with um, Amy Waters Jarsinski on um, MIA and POW um, uh, matters. Oh, nice. And we do, uh, I still do remote viewing uh, operationally. Uh, I have worked on some uh, projects uh, since the book. And um, I, I can't go into them because they're, they're actually classified. Well, not classified. <laughs> we won't uh, tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, good. Well, I know I can trust you guys. <laughs> so I what? Know you'll, I know you'll edit it out. So. Yeah, exactly. So what? <laughs> what about the? Uh, what about the rumors that there is still a a Stargate happening? It's just not in the open anymore. You know, that's interesting. Um, there are a number of people, including several of the original military remote viewers who believe that um, it's quite possible that they actually didn't um, disband the unit. They simply put it under a much deeper black program. And the reason they did that was because of the expose given by Dave Morehouse's book, Psychic Warrior. Wow, that was the book that kind of opened it up, eh? Yeah, there's been so much out there since, but I, yeah. had, I had that book on a cassette tape. <laughs> What's that? That Psychic Warrior book. What's a cassette tape? Oh yeah, Darren doesn't even know what that is. Yeah. It's the one after the A track. <laughs> so, oh is it like a when you're going to remote view? Is it like a whole production to get into, or is it like if you need to, can you be doing it like twenty minutes? You know what I mean? No, like, I is, tried. does it ever come hat? Yeah, well, <laughs> oh. actually, operational remote viewing, yes, it's, it's quite a project. It's quite a process, but. Um, uh, practice sessions or uh, uh, demonstration sessions is fairly straightforward. There's not that much to it. I mean, um, I, when I was at the 2006 IRVA conference, which is the International Remote Viewing Association conference that they hold every year, um, they actually did, for those who were not remote viewers in the audience, during one of the uh, presentations. Um, I think it was, as a matter of fact, I would think it was by Steven Schwartz, um, although don't quote me on that. But in any case, he gave the audience a target. And, you know, he said, this is the, uh, this, I have a target in mind, here are the coordinates. And for those of you who aren't remote viewers, that's all right, just simply sit back, relax, take some deep breaths, nice and relaxed and comfortable and just you know write down whatever comes up into your mind so 
you know, uh, the entire audience um, did this remote viewing session together. And there were some, a number of guests of recognition when he popped the uh, feedback pictures up um, 20 minutes later. The actual target was the monorail system there at one of the um, uh, casinos. And there were people going, oh my God, look, look, this is what I wrote, this is what I wrote. And these were non-remote viewers. So as I said, you know, this is a, this is a, uh, a basic um, innate human ability. Everybody has the ability to do it. So I've got a proposition for you, and if it if it's too much, you can, or if you don't, if you don't have the time, you, of course, you can, you can opt out, and I can just edit this out. But um, this episode will come out in about two and a half weeks, probably in podcast form, which is where most of our audience is. Mm-hmm. So if we were to email you the coordinates of the studio, maybe you could, uh, in that time, send us back a picture, and we could use it for the episode art. Hmm. Interesting thought. I would not be adverse to that. Adverse to that. It's not the real coordinates, though, Darren. It's not like you give them like a east and west. It's just coordinates as we make. We would make up coordinates. Like just how many numbers is it again? Um, I usually use two sets of four numbers. Two sets of four numbers. So you would yeah. just we would you know both give them a set of numbers with our intention on the studio. It wouldn't be the actual coordinates. Right. Oh right. You'll have to show me how to do that. Okay. But remember that remote viewing is driven by intention. So whoever makes up those numbers, um, how you would do it is simply uh, write down the intention that the viewer is going to be viewing the outside of the studio or that the studio is the, uh, the target and or whatever you desire to be the target. It doesn't have to be, it be virtually anything. And um, um, put that, you know, assign the numbers to it with the idea that, yes, this is what I want him to view. And then send me the, um, the uh, coordinates. Okay, cool. We'll do that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, sweet. And then we'll put it out if, uh, yeah, we'll put it out in the, as the episode art. Sure. And then maybe I'm going to get, I'm going to test your ability too, Graham. We should no, start training you. <laughs> I've already taken a couple courses. It's really hard. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I can't even <laughs> meditate or sit still. <laughs> you know what might be inter- even more interesting, though? If I gave you guys coordinates to a target of my choosing. Okay. Have you do it. You see, people, if I do it, it's, it's what we call the dog and pony show. Um, as a matter of fact, most of the remote viewers don't usually do this anymore simply because people will go, well, they cheated or, you know, he, they, they looked up the target or, you know, it comes all sorts of different excuses. Oh, totally. Right. So the remote viewers, by and large, unless it's under um, certain controlled circumstances, don't usually do that type of thing anymore simply because it's. It's, it's fodder for the skeptics. Yeah, it's really, it, yeah, we're not trying to prove anything here. We're just, we would just do it for fun. Yeah. But yeah. doing it the way I suggest, where I'm not doing the viewing, it's you guys are doing the viewing who are not remote viewers, but 
this will show that, you know, everybody has this ability. Anybody can do this. Mm -hmm. And two people who are not trained in remote viewing, who got these coordinates and simply sat back in their chair, closed their eyes, maybe turned the light down a little bit, and just, you know, wrote down whatever happened to pop up in their mind and see how close you get. That sounds great. I'm up for the challenge. I think you would be very surprised. So I just think and draw a picture? Um, I'm going to think of a target for you, and I'm going to give you the coordinates. And then you don't think and draw a picture, Darren. I, 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 don't, I think you want to try and get your brain out of the way, right? And, and really get into that theta state that we talk about in here and almost be like half asleep and then focus on the coordinates and then probably. And then we'll them. split, the, uh, we'll combine them both into one picture, use that <laughs> as the episode art, and people can guess whose is whose. <laughs> right and on. I have the target and... I have the coordinates for you. I'm ready. To do you, are you going to give them to, to us now or do you want to email yeah. them? Okay. I'll give it to you right now. Okay, sure. Uh, the coordinates for your target are 2105-6611. All target, right. target is to be described in present time. Okay. Okay, this will preclude you from, you know, sliding up and down the <laughs> timeline, if yeah, you will, yeah. existence. I don't think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, so um, is this time sensitive, or can we do it like no, at our own leisure? Do it at your leisure, and then what I want you to do is to uh, just simply, you know, write down your impressions, sketches, you know, any any thoughts that come to mind on the target, and then. Um, when you are ready uh, for your uh, feedback, let me know and I'll email you the target. Great. Perfect. And I, I think we got a couple of people in the chat room asking if the listeners can do it too. I suppose, I suppose they oh. could and they, could just e- sure. they can just email them to us. Yeah, actually they could. They, and I don't think we need to, we don't need to send them all to John. If you want, we could, but it could be a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that way. Besides, I would rather you guys see because I already know what you're going to be. Okay. So let's, uh, you should put those numbers in the chat room then, Darren, if you don't mind. That's 21056611. And I'll put them in the show notes as well for right. people listening to the podcast. All right. Yeah, invite your listen, all of your listeners to write down their impressions. All you have to do is simply relax, take some deep breaths, put everything out of your mind, you know, just... Put aside the, the, the smartphone, put oh, aside the TV. <laughs> Your day. Put, yeah, put aside the computers, all that stuff. Just sit back and just relax and just let see, you know, start a dialogue with your unconscious and see what bubbles up. I think you will be, as well as your listeners, will be very surprised. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's good. Thanks. Okay. Take about, you know, 15, maybe 15 minutes. That's all you really need to do. 15, 20 minutes or so. You know, it's a nice way to, you know, put everything aside for that short period of time and just sit and relax for a moment and get get comfortable and, you know, see what bubbles up. I have a really good target for you too. I think. So uh, that's good. We'll do that. 
Maybe okay. it's our studio. <laughs> no, you can't start dancing now. <laughs> before, uh, before we wrap it up, Joan, it's been a great chat. Um, do you have anything uh, you want to let any of our listeners know? Anything, anything you want to let them know or uh, where they can track you down? Um, actually, you can track me down at www.asorcerersapprentice.com. Uh, that's my blog. And... Um, you can contact me through my email at uh, johnherlosky at gmail.com. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Are you on, you're not on the Twitter or the Facebook or any of those fun things? No, actually I am on Facebook. You're more than welcome to friend me. I answer everybody's emails. I will answer um, as many questions as I possibly can. I, I friend easily. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, it's been a it's been a fantastic time. I can't wait to get down to this this little experiment. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see what the listeners send in. And uh, yeah, see, thanks. That's, that's oh. exactly the way you should approach it too. This is going to be fun. Yeah, totally. That's what it's all about. In the meantime, we'll open up some minds and we'll uh, explore the infinite possibilities. Yeah, we encourage everyone to check out the book. Yes, you yes. got the book in front of you there, Graham. Yeah, you bet. It's a Sorcerer's Apprentice, a skeptic's journey into the CIA's Project Stargate. Thanks so much, John. It's been great. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed my time here with you today. Excellent. We'll forward you a copy when it's out. Oh, I'd love it. I'll put it on my website. our chat with John Herlosky, the Sorcerer's Apprentice himself. Yeah. Project Stargate. I'm glad we got into that, man. I was a bit hesitant because we've talked about remote viewing quite a bit, but... Happily. Yeah. Yeah, we did, we've, we did it. We've uh, we've had, you know, remote viewing teachers on before. But we want to th- thank John for coming on and getting into a deeper level of it. Yeah, that was a great one. And of course... All you guys have your assignment. Me and me and Graham are gonna try our coordinates. See what we come up with. We'll report back, and then send us send us in whatever you guys get, and then we're gonna send that shit off to John too, and he can yeah tell us who is clo- if any of our listeners are closest or what it is. So we'll we'll see if any of you guys are remote viewers. I have the coordinates here. They are two one zero five six six one one. Now, that's present time coordinates, so you don't have to go back or forward in time. We do want to just say that. And uh, jot down your impressions, your sketches, your thoughts, your feelings. Synchronicities. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. So send them in to us. Now, we're going to have how, how long? Darren, two weeks? 
two weeks. So it'll be uh, the second show after this one that comes out. Right, Dad? Yes. Yeah. Two weeks, so it'll be, you have to have them in by, well, no, we'll give them two and a half weeks because of our recording schedule. Okay, so it'll come out the third podcast after this one. Yeah. And we'll mention it probably after each each intro or outro, yeah, week, so, if we can remember. So try and have them in by the, what the fuck is it today, the 20th? 19th. Oh, yeah. 19th. 19th. So try and have them in by like the 6th, 7th of June. Yeah. So yeah, I love, I love that story about John. I love the skeptic story, turning believer, like you're turning into like having that awakening of, holy shit, there's way more to to this life. And he had that uh, sort of premonition about 9-11 or that whole scenario around 9-11. Interesting stuff. And he saw her face. Oh, he's a believer. Yeah, that's right. Ain't a trace. What about what you... See, you're a little biased. What if a believer turned skeptic? They do all the time. Is that okay? Is that? Yeah, but it might not be based on experience, and it's just based on a worldview. But yeah, believers turn skeptic. What you know? I just don't think that's as you know fun of a way to go. It's not as a podcast worthy of a story when someone's like this, fuck this. No, look, Micah Hanks talks about that on the Grayling Report all the time, right? Some of these guys start out investigating as a believer, right? Or they want to believe, like Connor Habib would say. But what happens is after all the research and all that lack of real direct evidence, because everybody needs to prove, prove that this stuff is real, right? Not based on experience, but based on some measuring system that we don't even have access to right now. And if they can't do that, then they become skeptical. Seems to be happening. Even Red Pill Junkie's pretty skeptical about a lot of stuff, like more so than I would have originally thought. Not in a negative way, but I think those are some of the guys that go the other way, right? Because they're kind of on the front lines, like writing about the stuff, researching it. Like we just talk about it. It's a little more casual for us, but those guys are kind of like out there doing it, right? And I think that they have a hard time not being skeptical because they don't have that physical measurable proof. Until Red has his psychedelic experience in his trip report, until Micah Hanks like sees an alien walking around in his front yard, like it's not going to be enough evidence for these guys, right? Yeah. No. I've seen enough. Have you? Of what? I've seen some stuff. Have you? <laughs> I still need your trip report. <laughs> you got to, Darren's got one in the can. I did? I yeah, you've got that. The one that I thought I shit my pants? No, the one oh. you thought you were dying or whatever, that one. Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, that was one. That was kind of, yeah. I mean, let's talk about that one one day. Baby, that one's a doozy. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> You might not want to put that out in the, no, for the world uh, no, to hear about. Might, not, might be best kept at the hip. <laughs> Maybe we can just mention it, like, just a little bit one day. You don't have to get into, like, we all could leave the details. Easter eggs. Yeah. No, 
I don't know. That one was pretty intense. It's not something you would advise <laughs> anybody to do. The set and setting definitely wasn't there. <laughs> at, five, at five in the morning. No, you don't want to take any heroic doses of anything else at five in the morning. It's a bunch of strangers. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think that's about it. As always, support the show, slash support. Uh, sign up for the newsletter, slash news. Fucking spam Graham. You guys have been slacking on that big time. Spam them, send them some stories. And, uh, missing something. That's it, buddy. You always say that, and then we miss something. Well, we're always missing. We're not supposed to catch everything. That's the whole point of this, is it's kind of wing it and do it as we go. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening.